Welcome to Imaginative Visions Journeys, where creators from the entertainment world discuss their journey to turning their dreams into reality with your host, Justin D. Williams. Welcome, everybody, to Imaginative Visions Journeys, Episode 7. Justin here, and today we are here with a really great guest. We are here with Ronique Kirchman, and we are going to be talking a little bit about the center and how she began her musical career and a whole bunch of stuff. So we're going to start off with our origin section. Can you tell us a little bit about when the moment you fell in love with music? Well, honestly, I feel like... um music really felt like a natural way of expressing from as young as I can remember, really. Um, I, I think I was making up songs like from age, you know, as soon as I could talk. <laughs> and um, I started playing violin when I was four, I started taking lessons. And so I think that it, it was always something that felt like um a natural language that um, it, it was a place where I, I had something to say. So um, that's probably one. And it's funny. I remember uh, as a kid, there was a musical at my school that our music teacher had created. And there was a song called I love music. And I was assigned to be the singer of that number. So <laughs> I guess it, it came across early. And who would you say were some of your musical influences growing up? Um, I, I think a really wide range of um, influences. And I'm sure I'm going to accidentally leave some out. But, um, you know, I, I like the whole pop landscape of the 80s, um, Madonna and U2 and, um, you know, kind of you name it. Um, uh, really kind of far out avant-garde classical composers like Cage and Stockhausen, um, you know, Coltrane and Mingus and, um, you know, like Hank Williams and some of the country artists. And, um, you know, it just kind of goes on and on. I, um, you know, Russian Jewish uh, tunes that I heard from uh, older family members, uh, you know, so... <laughs> Um, I, I kind of feel like I was, uh, maybe it's part of like growing up in, in Manhattan and, um, I, I, I just felt like I was constantly exposed to, um, different kinds of music and, um, I mean, musical theater, that whole world that's, you know, like Sondheim, um, you know, I, I, I could go on and on, but I, I think that. Uh, it's kind of a combination of having a point of view uh, of, um, I guess I, I never felt like I, I was, you know, some people identify themselves by their taste in one genre and they're like that kind of person or whatever. And for me, it was more like, you know, humans have so many different emotions and points of view. And um, so similarly, I, I just, I think I've gravitated toward music that is really complex and expressive or like um 
and also sometimes conversely just has a, like an amazing hook. Um, but I, it's kind of all over the globe and all over the map in terms of style, in terms of what um, I respond to. I think quality is what I respond to most. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a, like a variety of genres. And would you say that really influences some of your composition as well? For sure. I, and then, I mean, we didn't get into some of the orchestral composers that I think are in some ways at the heart of what a lot of film music draws from sometimes like Debussy and Ravel and Stravinsky and um, so um, yeah I mean I think that we it, it's a when you're a composer you your brain is formed by everything that you hear you know um, probably especially things that, that you hear at a young age but I also feel like you keep on discovering and sometimes you resonate with things um, you know that don't um you know it doesn't have to necessarily like make sense why you really respond to a new piece of music that you hear so i think that we are in, we're more than the sum of our influences you know i when i write when i sit down to write i feel like i am i always really value originality and i also respond to that in other people's work but i also think that you know we are formed by our environments and so it's kind of a feedback loop but you're always kind of listening to open up your channel i guess to um a direct inspiration of your own um but the instrument of your brain is what you end up um harnessing to articulate that inspiration so it's going to um be connected to all those traditions of music that you've been a part of um, so I think that's kind of why it's a, it's a little bit of a beautiful metaphor for just like being human. You know, you learn a lot of things from just uh, from others, but then you, you're also your own person and you have your own connection to the source. Um, and that dialogue and that conversation, that feedback network is kind of a lifetime of musical conversations, I think. And do you remember, uh, your first performance, whether it was like child, do you remember like your first time you actually performed music? Um, I, so I, I don't remember the first per se. I do remember very young, we'd play in front of family members. So like, I remember evenings at my grandparents' house at the piano mm -hmm. and after dinner, like there was always like a request from whoever played an instrument to play something. Um, and then I remember my uh, violin recitals when I was a kid um, and just, you know, waiting, waiting in line for my turn playing the piece and just the different dynamics, different attitudes of the kids who were waiting to play, ranging from, you know, some kids were had a lot of stage fright. I just remember the whole uh kind of vibe atmosphere of the violin recitals and then i do remember one not it wasn't the first performance but i remember i had been um there was a a big performance at my elementary school and i had to have my violin and for some reason i was coming from somewhere else and they were waiting to start the show i had to show up for them to start the show and i remember running into the auditorium and you know, the kind of excitement that the show could start now that I was there. So, 
And we're going to go to the next section now that we got a little bit of your backstory. We call this section Roadblocks. And for many other listeners that we have, we have uh, from people from the Indies. And what would you say was some of your biggest challenges in your journey to becoming a musician when it came to finding your sound and the way of your style? That's a great question. Um, I I think that when you have... um, uh, maybe like a your own unique kind of point of view or thing that you're trying to express. I think the biggest challenge is that sometimes um, the two things, sometimes the language, the notation, the systems that are in place don't always reflect the, your own individual thought process. So I think that's that was kind of an ongoing thing that I encountered. You know, I'd Here's something in my head, and I, you know, studied various um, ways of notating and expressing, but it's just kind of like uh, sometimes feeling that gap between the individual way of processing and the kind of systems of thought that shaped how people express and transmit those ideas and feelings. And also, um, yeah, so finding those tools of being articulate and bringing what's inside out, uh, that's also a lifetime thing, but I think um, maybe front-loaded a little bit, you know, um, in in a musical journey, Um, especially if you may be somebody that um, crosses boundaries or... um, you know, inhabit certain musical spaces that are in, in the synapses between styles and ways of working, you know? So I think for me that one of the things that has kind of healed the dilemma and provided a lot of expressive potential, just like studying a lot of different traditions of music. And, you know, that's something I think is, um, also is kind of a, like a life in general thing. It's always, wonderful I think to study different points of view different ways of looking at things and then it allows you the perspective and flexibility to start to know how you want to articulate yourself um so um so yeah I think that that I would probably say is the biggest challenge because you know in, in the classical world there are certain people who believe that everything is on the page and that's actually even with the most beautifully prepared scores, there's a ton that's not on the page and um, actually received practice and custom. And those customs are different depending on really what country you're in. Um, you know, the assumptions about how to play things are different. Um, and yeah, so, and and that, that um you know, I think this is changing quite a bit, but when I was, um, you know, deep into the classical world and I was a string player, I'm a violinist and I love to, you know, make stuff up and improvise and that kind of attitude toward playing, I really had to, um, you know, I didn't know a lot of string players who were improvisers and I just had to just join jazz groups and join rock groups and like just put myself in contexts where that was happening. Um, so, so yeah, there, I think there's a big, um, cultural component to how 
music is communicated and what the definition of a composition even is, um, is, you know, it's fascinating. And I think once I learned to start having fun with that and, you know, treating, you kind of uh, form yourself and your identity by making things and you create that context every time you make something and that's, that's okay. You know, um, that's part of the, part of the art form, I think. That's why I like the great band leaders are great. It's like they're creating the context within which magic can happen. It's not just the notes on the page. And it's very uh, adaptable. It's something that you can just really, like you were just saying, it's not always on the page. It's something like you can like really just adapt to it just based off of how, how I guess, how the song is going. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, yeah, there's so many variables, the players and what, what each player is bringing to an ensemble, what their experience is, where, where they've been, you know, in that sense. Um, I'm also really heavily into music production. I think the more I kind of got into production, uh, the better I felt about my ability to express what was in my head because I, I find that, you know, a composition, then orchestration, then mix, those are all components of the, the total experience, you know, um, of a piece. And that would actually transition us into our next section, which is the showcase where we're going to be talking about the center. So your work on the center season two through four of the soundtrack is uh, finally being released. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference of working on a TV show doing a, a composition as opposed to a film? Sure. Um, I think it depends on the TV series. Uh, in the case of The Sinner, I feel like each season is kind of like a long cinematic experience. Um, it's like, you know, uh, the eight episodes together create kind of like a, a big movie in a way. Um, so it's unlike, I think, a procedural where it's like you just tune in and you're there to see the characters week to week and um, it's less about a bigger arc. I think this is also just in general the way a lot of TV shows or at least limited series, this ended up being not a limited series, but a continuing one, but it originated as a limited series, which I think affected its uh, MO. Um, you know, in that kind of context, the you're building big arcs. Um, and I think in terms of the actual job of composing for it, you have more opportunities to develop themes and look at things from in different ways musically, which is exciting. It's actually compositionally um, potentially more complex. You have to think bigger because there's more uh that happens you know that you need to be able to express with uh your musical materials and um and i think also just the preparation and the the workflow has to be really really consistent and well organized um just because the the schedule is very fast so compared to for the most part you know compared to films tv can be much more compressed and, and faster uh, at, at certain times. And so just the infrastructure that you build in terms of how you uh, approach 
your toolkit and setting up your sessions and everything organizational has to, you have to run a really tight ship in terms of that um, with yourself. So I think in a, in a lot of ways that TV work um, feeds back really well. Like you learn a lot of great things that you can use in a film um, to, to make it easier and feel like an easier process. And one thing I love about the soundtrack for the show is that this, especially with this new album, is like there's really so much, the show has so much intense moments. And one thing I like, <laughs> one of my favorite songs is Restless Night. And yeah, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's very, it has like this haunting, I mean, it has a little like kind of like this horror element to it, but it's very melancholy at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, can you take us into your mind while you're in the studio and describe a little bit of your process of how you compose the song for some of the soundtracks? Do you have the actual scene in front of you or do you just really have just like an idea mm -hmm. of what you're going to bring to it? Um, well, uh, usually the process has different phases to it. So early on, um, if you know, in the case of the center, I do get the scripts early, um, kind of before they shoot, and that's a nice opportunity for me to start percolating, thinking about what instruments I want to be using and what kinds of sounds I want to be programming, and experiment and and write some music away from picture. Um, by the time, but then there's a lot that uh, gets written. Um, you know, once we have, I mean, ultimately everything is written to picture, right? And um, those earlier themes are adapted and morphed and changed to uh, express the needs of a scene. And then sometimes, you know, we'll go in different directions from there. But um, I think that the initial uh, material is always useful in some way. Uh, and then when I start getting episodes, you know, that's, that's when, you know, the cues really have to be super, super, I mean, we really, really fine tune it to a great degree moment to moment. Um, so the final cues are always the result of that um, process to picture. So like Restless Night, I think, you know, the exciting thing about that is that um, the story really helps you find interesting musical shapes that I think otherwise might not be immediately intuitive or the first choice. Mm. Um, and because of the needs of the scene, you're like, well, it has to change here and do something like radically different and still feel like a good transition, you know? So um, the, the kind of container of the scene can create little, it's basically like problem solving stuff that you have to translate into the language and vocabulary of music um, and usually ends up in very interesting shapes musically. So Restless Night starts out, especially yeah, in this kind of dreamy, slightly melancholic space. And then what happens in the scene kind of forces it darker, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad that you, that that is coming across. Um, but I, I love that interaction of being able to find themes that, stand on their own as music and then, um, you know, putting them into context and, and letting them and kind of following the needs of the scene. Um, 
So it's it's nice to be able to do both. Yeah, because I, I when it comes to like really like, for me, like with my process, like because I'm a writer, when I write my stories, I always listen to soundtracks. I always listen to classical music and things like that because it helps for me like to really grip my tone. So it, I've always wanted to know like the process of that. And you explained it very, very well of how your, your process goes, because I always want to know it's like for me, I know my process is like, OK, if I hear a certain song. And it has like something like Restless Nights where it, like you said, it starts off and has to get a little bit darker. I know that, okay, I know my scene, this is going to be how it's going to be just due to the sound and tone from the actual song. So I thought uh-huh. that, that's very, yeah, that's very amazing. Um, do you have a favorite song from um, The Center so far that you, uh, that, you, that you did compose? Is there uh-huh. one that you feel like that's, that's my baby? <laughs> I was going to say that's like choosing a favorite between your yeah. babies. Which yeah. <laughs> That's a no, no, no. Um, I mean, I, I really do love them all for different reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there are certain, certain tracks like uh, the falls or spiral that are kind of the finale for each, you know, the falls is the finale piece um, for season two and spiral is kind of like the second half of the finale for season four. Um, so I think that there's something about those uh, moments and those pieces that encapsulate this big emotional journey that I, I appreciate, um, especially, you know, in a show that has so much through scoring and, um, there's places where the score has to be very interwoven and supportive and you can't just like get out there with the big old melody, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so when, when there are moments that open up where I, can do that it's very gratifying and sometimes you know those moments sometimes happen in the in the end i also really like baju the b-a-z-e-g-w that track um just because i feel like it's it's pretty intense and uh uh like dark and um mysterious and I, i just had fun with the musical palette choices for that one um and yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to prioritize one track over the others just because there's, I guess in assembling the selection for the soundtrack, I tried to give a range, um, you know, from the really dark and coloristic and hard type material all through to the, the really poignant and dramatic um, and melodic. So hopefully there's something for everybody. And what can listeners expect from the soundtrack since you just kind of alluded to that? Um, Yeah, well, I I think um, the idea was to give people um, kind of a digestible amount of material that would still encapsulate the journey of those three seasons. So um, the album is structured basically like, you know, season two material then season three and then season four um it's not strictly chronological within each season but i presented the material for for each season in, in order uh in, in kind of season order because i feel like um if you definitely for fans of the show it's like you remember the journey that bill pullman's character uh harry ambrose 
has gone on. So um, it kind of lets you relive that in a somewhat condensed musical format. And we're going to hit to our final two sections. Uh, this one's called destination and or, or advice. What advice can you give any other young composers who are trying to break into the field? Um, there's so much advice that could be helpful. I feel like, first of all, there's no one path. There's many different paths that people can uh, take to kind of get into the field. Um, I think it's important if, if film scoring, TV scoring, you know, scoring for narrative is uh, the the goal. I think, you know, just like for starters, you just want to make sure that that's your passion, that you love telling stories with music and collaborating with people on how to do that. Um, because it's really, even though, you know, you're the composer, it's it's a team effort in terms of listening to the vision of the creators of the show um, and creating kind of a mind meld. You know, you can't be rigid. You have to be flexible and nimble and be willing to revise. Um, you know, it's not my way or the highway. It's like the opposite of that. <laughs> so, you know, if, if there's areas in your music that you really want to do your own thing, that is awesome. And it's, it's always a plus. And, it's always, I think, great to develop both. But when you're in a scoring space, you have to understand that it's a team effort um, and to embrace that because I think that it, you, you end up growing and learning and becoming a better composer as a result of having to respond to people's needs and requests and vision um, and not just doing... Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think it, it offers interesting reflect, re, reflections and refractions of your initial ideas when you're working with a creative team. And for our finale, um, if there's anything you can't tell us, is there anything you can tell us if there's any upcoming projects? And if you do have a social media, where can people follow you? Um, well, you're right. There are certain things that I can't share yet. Um, <laughs> um, I can share uh, a recent film release um, uh, is called Manscaping. It's a documentary by Broderick Fox. And the um, I may be looking at possibly releasing a soundtrack for that in the near future. Um, and uh, I am working on a classical commission which is a string quartet, which I'm very excited about and uh, mixing uh, a friend's record, kind of doing a little bit of uh, music production, um, you know, kind of deep dive for that. Um, yeah, and some, some more film and TV stuff coming up. Um, I guess, stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a social media, where can people follow you? If you have um, so my, my website is ronitekirchman.com and on socials, on Twitter, I'm at Ronit Tweets. On Instagram, I'm Ronit Kirchman Music and same thing uh, on Facebook. So I definitely, you know, when there's something coming out, that's, it, it will always end up there. Um, so yeah, check it out. And thank you very, very much for joining us here. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. It was a great interview. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us for Imaginative Visions Journeys. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Imaginative Visions, you can visit ImaginativeVisions.com.